The scripture today is from the 32nd chapter of Exodus, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. These are the words of God for the people of God. All right, well, as we talked, or we've been talking, we've been studying the book of Exodus together, and today, as you just heard, uh, we've come to Exodus chapter 32, and with it, I think, to a really important question, and the question is simply this. It is, what do we do when we're in need, and at least in our opinion, God is just taking too long to meet our need? Ever been there? Pretty much every time you're in need, isn't that, isn't that the way it feels? So what do we do? Now, the reason I say that is because I think that's what underlies this problem here in this story, this great moral failure that Chip just read for us on the part of the Israelites, that until we really kind of get into it a little bit, sort of makes us feel, you know, like, what's the matter with these people? I mean, you read that and you think to yourself, good grief, particularly if you've sort of been on this Exodus journey with us, because you're thinking, man, hang on a second, you know, you want to sit them down and go, aren't you the same people who only, I don't know, what, like three months ago, four months ago, five months ago, 
literally watched the Lord God dismantle one of the most powerful nations in the world, the nation of Egypt, oh, and bring Pharaoh, king of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the world, to his knees, how? By means of 10 undeniably miraculous plagues, like the sun didn't shine for three days. Okay, that's supernatural. Yeah, 10 of those. Isn't that you people? Like, aren't you the same folks? And aren't you the same folks who then, having been delivered by means of those plagues by God, you know, and brought out into the wilderness with Pharaoh's army pursuing you to seek vengeance, and you were pinned up against the Red Sea, and then God parted the waters of the Red Sea. So let me see if I get this right. You're the same people who literally walked in between the walled-up waters of the Red Sea on dry ground. That's you guys, right? You, you, You did that? Yeah, and then when you got to the other side of the Red Sea and the waters closed... And you were out in the wilderness and you were thirsty. You're, you're the people that God brought forth water from, wait for it, from a rock. This is not where you dig a well. He did that for you, didn't he? And then he brought you to a place of abundant waters and you were like, yes, finally, something to drink. And you tried to drink it and it was bitter, it was salty, it was full of minerals and you couldn't drink it. And God miraculously cleansed all of that water so that you could then drink it. That, that, that's you guys, right? And then when you clamored for meat because you got sick of the diet that the Lord gave you, he brought in enough quail to feed you with meat miraculously. I mean, come on. Isn't that you? And aren't you the same people who even today, on this very morning that you got up and then went to Aaron and said, all right, look, bud, you got to give us a new God here, woke up and walked out of your tent and there was this stuff called manna like all over the ground, food from heaven, if you will, that you could collect up day by day enough for three meals a day for everybody in your family. Isn't that you guys? I mean, like, I think it's easy if you've sort of been on the Exodus train and you don't stop for a minute to just go, man, I don't know what's wrong with these people. I mean, they must be out of their minds. I mean, good grief, what is the matter with you? But when you do stop and you, you, know, you kind of sit down and you take your shoes off and have them take their shoes off and switch for a little while, you know, put their sandals on and walk around at it for a bit and try to imagine what life might have been like for them, then you start realizing that, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't be so harsh on these guys. And I say that because you can easily imagine how panic started to grow in the camp of the Israelites first day by day, but then hour by hour, but then moment by moment as this man Moses, their prophet, their leader, who had gone up onto Mount Sinai that they're camped all around the base of to meet with the Lord alone, to receive the law in a written form from the hand of God himself, and whom they had every reason to expect would be back within what? Couple of hours? All right, it's a long walk. Eight hours? 10? Let's give him a day. You know what? We'll be generous. We'll give him two days. Okay, it's been like 39 days. And he hasn't come back. So now they're thinking, what happened to Moses? Like, is Moses lost? Did Moses leave? Because we've given him a pretty hard time. Did Moses die? 
I mean, they look up at the top of this mountain and they can see the cloud that is indicative of the presence of God and it's described as like a consuming fire, you know? Like, has he been consumed in the fiery presence of God? Did he say the wrong thing? I mean, he's kind of old. Maybe he didn't make it back down the hill. Like, where the heck is Moses? And if Moses is out of the picture, then what? Because whereas it is absolutely true that God is the one who did all of the plagues and water from the rock and parting the Red Sea and making the bitter waters sweet and all of this stuff, the quail, the manna. God has done all of that, but God has also done it all through Moses. So if Moses is out of the picture, guys, who will secure God's provision for us? Who will secure God's protection for us? Who will secure God's guidance for us? Oh, and incidentally, there are two million of us, and we're out in the wilderness. There's just not enough food and water to sustain us out here. We don't have any friends. Like, we can't go back to Egypt. They tried to kill us, you know? We, we, nobody wants to take in two million of us and then take care of us. Oh, yeah, no problem. Just come on over. I'm having a barbecue. I mean, that's not going to happen. So now what? They need Moses, so they think. And he's delayed. And they can't do the math on it. And I don't think that I would have been able to do it either. Like, I don't think I would have been able to go, ah, no problem. I just think he's probably up there, you know, I don't know, playing cards with the Lord. I mean, I I have no other explanation. Like, there's no good reason from their perspective that he's gone this long. And so what do they do? Well, effectively, what they do is they take God and they take the word of God. He's given them the Ten Commandments already. Moses is up there now receiving the written copy. They take God and they take the word of God and then they take God, figuratively speaking, of course, over to some old closet that they have and they put him up on his shelf, you know, and it's kind of dusty and then they shut the door and they lock the door and they hit the lights and then they come out and they go to Aaron and they say, listen, uh, we need you to make us a God. And, And I think what they're saying is we need you to make us a God to replace Moses. And I say that because what I think they're doing is they're saying, make us some object, some idol that we can then use in the worship, believe it or not, of the true and the living God, even though in his first commandment he has said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And since before me means in my presence, and since his presence is everywhere, what it really says is thou shalt have no other gods. And even though he has said, you cannot use a graven idol or image in the worship of me, that's commandment number two. And the reason for that is because I'm infinite and there's nothing that can capture and and possess me. There's nothing that can adequately express me. Even though he said that, they've done away with that. They've said, God, your word, we're just going to put you over here. We're going to lock you in. We're going to hit the lights. And, And here's the deal. We need some kind of an idol that we can use by which, hopefully, to procure, like Moses used to do for us, okay, the provision and protection and the guidance of the Lord. So make that for us. And I think when you look at it that way, all right, maybe you can relate a little bit or at least feel their panic. What they do, as Matt said in his introduction, is they revert back to the worship of the ancient Near Eastern peoples all around them. That's the way that the ancient Near Eastern peoples used idols. They used them in order to worship their otherwise invisible gods. 
And a calf or a bull was a very common image, including even in Egypt. And so they'd seen all of this stuff before. And when you begin to think about the kind of pressure and the kind of intensity of all of that, this panic that's moving like a conflagration through the camp of Israel, you can at least kind of go, okay, look, it was a colossal failure. I understand it was a colossal failure, but I'm feeling a little bit more humble and a little less judgmental. But then I think you get a lot less judgmental when you start looking at your own failures and realize that some of them fall along these same lines. And I say that because I think that when provision for us and our family, when protection for us and our family, when guidance for us and our family is what we need and it ain't coming, or at least it feels like it isn't, certainly it hasn't arrived yet. What do we do? I think at some point we go, you know what, Lord, I've waited long enough and I'm going to take you and I'm going to take your law and everything that you say about life and I'm going to put it, figuratively speaking, in a closet in my house up on a dusty shelf and I'm going to shut the door and I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn off the light and I'm going to lock you in and I'm going to blame you for it because you should have shown up earlier and here's now what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go out and try to figure it out on my own because I can't wait anymore. I'm tired of waiting. Ever do that? Like everyone has done that. I thought of some examples. I'm going to give them to you, but I want you to know that, you know, as I thought of these examples, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I mean, I want you to know that I've, I have experienced these examples. I'm not coming to you and going, and if you did, I'm going, no, yeah, I get this, because at some point in life, I know what that's like. So maybe you're single, and you're like, hey, I am single, and I am lonely, and I'm kind of bitter about it, to be honest. I mean, the Lord and I have had this conversation. It's not like this is all of a sudden a new thing. This isn't a big surprise to you, God, but here's the big surprise. Nobody in my life, and I have waited long enough. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take your word and everything that you have to say about relationships and marriage and human sexuality and anything else, and I'm going to put you up on a shelf, and I'm going to lock you in, and I'm going to hit the lights, and I'm going to blame you for not moving more quickly, and then I'm going to go out and do whatever it is that I feel like I need to do to try to have this need met. You know what that's like? Maybe you feel worthless and you want to feel valued. Maybe just, I don't know, even recognized. <laughs> acknowledged. We'll just start with acknowledged and move from there, hopefully. And you've laid that before the Lord. It just hasn't gotten through somehow. And now you're just irritated, you know? Now it's just, oh, come on. Now it's, I've, you know what? I've given up. Okay, so I've given up on you. You are going in the closet, buddy. You and your laws and your ways to live and all that stuff and locking you in and I'm going to leave you in the dark. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and do whatever it is that I need to do in order, first of all, to be acknowledged and hopefully at some point be accepted and received and, and valued and maybe even celebrated because I feel like I need that. Or maybe it's security. You want to feel secure and you don't feel secure. And look, we live in a very insecure world. And all of the insecurities in the world are constantly published to us in a whole multitude of media ways. And that doesn't help. It's not good for the soul. It just makes us all anxious and even more anxious and then even more anxious. And it's like, Lord, I, 
you know, come on, man. And I, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm sick of waiting. I'm, I'm done with you. You're going in the closet, all your stuff, your laws, your, your word, the whole deal. And I am going to go figure out how to go, gain this by myself through relationships, through contacts, through influence, through money. That's the primary way, is it not? I'm going to get as much of it as I can and I'm going to hoard it all up for myself so that I and my family can hopefully at some point feel secure. Who never wrestles with that? I would ask you when it comes to your resources, are you a pool or are you a river? Because I think that'll be insightful in terms of whether or not this is an issue. Starts with a raindrop, you know, then it becomes a puddle. Then it becomes like a, a, a little pond maybe, you know, or maybe like a swimming pool. Then it becomes a lake. Then it becomes the Atlantic. Or is it a river? It's moving through. It's bringing life to the world. Anyway, if you think about those different examples, they are nothing other than a failure to believe the gospel, if you look at it that way, through which what? through which the God of the universe, by His Holy Spirit, literally inhabits us and becomes our eternal companion and friend. And beyond that, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you and all kinds of other wonderful things He says to us. And that experience is really authentically ours. It's just mostly left untested and untried. I think it's a failure to believe the gospel that comes to us and says that our value is forever established, not by what people think of us, not by how much applause or acceptance or whatever it is that we get, but by the fact that God has given the infinite life of his son and has laid down his son's life in my place and in yours so that he might have a relationship with me and with you. It's remarkable. It's a denial of the gospel which says that through faith we gain a God who not only knows all of our needs but who promises to meet all of our needs. He says nothing about our wants. So that needs to be said. And he meets our needs in his way and in his timing and I understand that's probably 99% of the frustration, is it not? That's the rub. That's the issue. But nevertheless, he is altogether faithful. And so then if you think about it, Moses' absence from the camp of Israel, which went on day after day after day and way beyond what they expected is not what caused them to fall into idolatry. All it did was expose the reality that they were already an idolatrous people. That's it. Because as soon as that delay got beyond their capacity to handle it, they shelved God and his word and created a different God for themselves. So what is their God then? Their God was their safety. And I think that's true for us too. Look, if I'm gonna put God and his word on a shelf for something, then in reality, that something that I'm willing to put God and his word on a shelf for is actually my God, is it not? And so I think we're quick to listen to the story that Chip read for us and to go, man, these guys are out of their minds. Like, what is the problem with these people? Good grief, aren't you the same people who... Dot, 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 dot. Until we walk around in their sandals and until we compare it to our own lives and then we realize, oh, so I'm an Israelite then. It's true. And the way that I look at it is kind of like this. I just kind of figure, you know, if Aaron, the high priest of Israel, and the brother of Moses, who saw and experienced all of that stuff, who's standing there fashioning the calf, okay, under the shadow of Mount Sinai, 
on top of which God's consuming fiery presence is right now residing, like I can look up and see it. Okay, if he can fall into this, I'm pretty sure that I can too. And so Aaron makes them their idol and he makes them an altar and he declares the next day to be a feast unto the Lord. And then beginning in verse six, we're told that the Israelites rose up early. So they're jacked about this day. They rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play, which is full of all kinds of sexual connotations. And then the Lord said to Moses, who is obviously still around, like he hasn't gotten lost, he hasn't left, and he's very much alive. He is on top of the mountain, unbeknownst to them, doing productive things for them in the presence of the Lord. He says, go down for what? Your people, Moses whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, and here's how. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, for they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked, or as we might say, a hard-headed people. Yeah, I think that's about right. Now, therefore, let me alone. Why? Because it's a little unnerving. So that my wrath may burn hard against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you, Moses, instead of well out of them. But now notice what Moses does next because God, when he makes this statement about consuming his people, knows what Moses is going to do next and even how he will react to it. But Moses, we're told, implored the Lord his God. He mediates now between God and man. He intercedes for the people. He implored the Lord his God and he said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against whose people? Against your people, not mine, whom you, not me, have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. And if you consume them now, Lord, frankly, I'm concerned for your reputation for why should the Egyptians whom you delivered us from say with evil intent did God bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? So Lord... Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And oh, by the way, also, what about all the promises that you made to the patriarchs? Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, for there's nothing higher. There's no one higher. And you said to them, I will multiply your offspring, not not mine, Moses, as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And here's the end result of the intercession. We read, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. In other words, Moses' prayer on behalf of his people was actually effective, which again was no surprise to the Lord because when the Lord made the statement about I'm gonna consume them, he already knew what Moses was gonna do And he already knew how he was going to respond to what Moses was going to do. And you say, well, then why did he even bring it up? I mean, why go through this exercise? Why make Moses have to intercede? Why did he do this when he already knew how it was going to end? And I think the answer to that is so that he could put one more pointer in the Old Testament. A very obvious one, I think. That points forward by the example of Moses and even the response of the Lord 
to a far greater Moses, a far greater mediator, a far greater intercessor, a far greater deliverer, Jesus Christ. God made man come into the world to lay down his infinitely valuable and perfect life in the place of God's people. He looks down upon us and instead of consuming us, he consumed Jesus. That's the answer. But it still doesn't answer the question of what do we do when we're in need and God, at least from our perspective, is taking too long to meet the need. But I think we've seen thus far at least what we're not to do. What we don't do is give up and say, you know what, Lord? I'm out. I've waited, I've given you your shot, and now I'm done. So you're going in the closet, bud, shutting the door, locking you in, hitting the lights, and I'm going to go looking for satisfaction on my own. We don't do that. But instead, we repent of all of the false gods that we so easily turn to in our times of need. And honestly, I think all of us could sit down and just make a list, and it wouldn't take long. You know, we just go, oh, yeah, sure. I, yeah, right? I mean, if we're honest, if we're willing to endure that, it just, yeah. We repent of all of the false gods that we so easily turn to in our time of need, and we remember the gospel and the fact that through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of all of our idolatries and brought into the family of God and promised the presence of God and the activity of God in our lives, even when we don't feel his presence, it's there. And even when we don't know what he's up to because we can't see his activity, it's going on. Look, Moses was up on the mountain doing things. They didn't know that. But they could trust that. All right, and then here's what we do after that. You ready? This is going to be so exciting for all of you. I can feel the excitement already. It's amazing. I'm excited about this. This is going to be awesome. So hopefully it's good that you're seated. So here we go. After you do that, then... You wait. That's it. That's all I got. You wait on the Lord who walks with you in your waiting. Oh, so maybe it's not all I got. And you come to realize that he's enough. God is your deliverer and he is going to deliver you. Now, rarely does he do it when you want him to do it or how you want him to do it. At least that's been my experience. Sometimes, by the way, he does it before I even knew I needed to be delivered. So that's awesome. Sometimes what he does far exceeds any expectation that I otherwise had and other times I'm going, oh man, come on, this is killing me. Let's go, you know, I need to see it happen. I need you. God is your deliverer if you have faith in Jesus. And whether he delivers you in this life or in the next life, and God thinks in terms of eternity, guys. He's not confined to the clock the way that we are. He is going to deliver you, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has established that without any fail. So what do we do? We repent of our false idols that we turn to. We believe the gospel and who God is and who we are in him. And we wait for him to move walking with him each day and trusting him to give us the strength and the wisdom and the perspective and anything else it is that we need to continue to walk with him in our waiting until the day comes when in fact he brings his deliverance as only he can. He's our deliverer. He delivers through doctors. He delivers sometimes through lawyers. I mean, you know, it happens. 
He delivers through all kinds of different means. Sometimes he delivers immediately and directly. But he is our hope, and he is not a hope who fails. So think about that, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this world of uncertainty, there is an immovable object. There is you. God, we thank you that you are. But far more, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have not looked down upon us in all of our idolatries and all the ways that we've given up or grown impatient and run off and, and live for ourselves and thought to consume us, but instead, that in the person of Jesus, you entered into this world and on a cross were consumed in our place so that our debts might be paid and we might be set free to enjoy a free and really unqualified, unfettered relationship with you that we might know life, abundant and eternal through faith in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would give us grace in our waiting. Grace as husbands and wives, grace as parents and friends, as brothers and sisters, as workers and business owners, Lord, we we pray that you would give us grace for the things that we long for. And we pray that you would give us grace to value you more than the meeting of our needs. We pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.